At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Stephanie Collins of Bountiful, Utah. Stephanie will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Karen Cooper, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it, Law and Order, Law and Order, Law and Order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and Order, Law and Order, Law and Order, Law and Order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Special Victims Unit, Season 14, Episode 13, Monster's Legacy. But the governor doesn't pardon murderers because they had a bad childhood. Look, it took me 15 minutes to find out that the deceased had a record for solicitation of young men. I need to prove that the original defense lawyer neglected to tell the jury about mitigating circumstances. Period. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Thanks for having me on the show, Kevin. And rounding out our panel is our special guest from the Chick Lit podcast... It's Karen Cooper. Hello, Karen. Hi, it's great to be here. So I got to ask, do you think Benson has a favorite book series? Oh, let's see. If she did, I feel like she would be either really into like V.C. Andrews, like really messed up <laughs> stuff because that's what she does every day. Yeah, yeah. Or she would be into, I feel like she maybe would turn it on its head and it would be like a cozy murder mystery like Louise Penny something situation. Yeah, I was actually thinking that too because like it's a little dark, but then they just eat like a bunch of stew and cake at night. (laughs) Right, and she can just pretend that she goes home and eats pie every day. Exactly. Perfect. Just like Gamash, exactly. Just Gamash. So uh, you do a drink of choice for each of your podcast episodes. What drink is the best pairing for SVU? I feel like... SVU is often very fucked up, so I would choose something that would get me very fucked up, like a Long Island iced tea. Yeah, yeah. Jägermeister or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Choice. Perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> so, uh, Karen, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. Oh, I gotta go with Finn and Munch. Yeah. Oh, good choice. I, I don't want to put myself in too much of this category, but I love a good conspiracy theory as much as the next person, and so Munch has always been my... Uh, Oh, he's he's like your guardian angel, your yes. North Star. Yeah. Yes. And and Finn is just the one liners. You can't. I I love Ice-T. He's he's just a treasure. Yeah. 
And who is your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Team, I don't know, but Barbara is will always be my favorite ADA. I love Raul Esparza. I even stuck by Barbara when he killed that baby. <laughs> <laughs> the baby had it coming. All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode. SVU Season 14, Episode 13, Monsters Legacy. Well, after we see a male gymnastics coach literally work out a cramp in a young athlete's legs, he's attacked in the parking lot, stabbed in the jewels with an ice pick. The squad homes in on lowly gymnasium custodian Johnny Dubcheck, who believed he walked in on the coach molesting a child. And so ends another five-minute episode of Law & Order SVU. <laughs> Alexa, I almost bled out. You could have killed him. I don't know who you're, who you're talking about. How long have you been working at that gym? You see him every day. I see, I see a lot of people. We're going to find your prints on that weapon. No, no you won't. Why? Because you were wearing gloves? His blood is on them. On your boots, too. But wait! There's more. There's no proof the coach was a predator, and Johnny may have overreacted. Rollins and Finn want to follow up with Johnny at Rikers, but on the transport, he tries to strangle an accused pedophile with a chain. The detectives learn from his mother, Johnny, was never quite the same after he came back from camp that year. Benson and Amaro visit the camp director, Coach Martin Schultz. He seems like a nice guy, until he creeps live the fuck out with the predator jargon. After showing Craig in a pattern of violence among past campers, Benson and Tutuola head to Ohio to interview the only convict with nothing left to lose, death row inmate Reggie Rhodes. He admits he's murdered Charles Danforth in a burglary, but when they bring up Coach Schultz's camp, he gets very agitated. No, get the hell out of here! Mm. <laughs> All right, so Liv shows up at the crime scene in a fancy dress, and the first thing Amaro does is sexually harass her. Yes! Wow. <laughs> Olivia. <laughs> it's a little early for Look, Valentine's Day. You and I decided that we weren't quite ready for the whole Valentine's Day dinner thing, so... So you went for the casual pre-dinner thing. I get that. Sorry to pull you out. Alexi is on a stretcher with stab wounds in his nuts. And yeah. he has to listen to one guy telling a woman how beautiful she looks in her dress and making a bunch of funny jokes about it. How do you think he feels when he's lying there in that stretcher with wounds in his nuts? How long do you think he was there if <laughs> if Olivia could leave her date and get to the garage? Well, just like, put some pressure on it. I'm not a healthcare provider, but it's my understanding that when things like that happen, you probably leave the person in the position that they were in. So I want to know how long he was standing there with his ass hanging out of the trunk yes. so that the, the EMTs could treat his his stabbed balls. Yeah. Didn't Amara say something like, it's lucky the ambulance got here so quickly? <laughs> how quickly could they have possibly have gotten there if Liv had to explain this to her date and then leave <laughs> and then there is still time for Amara to sexually harass her when she gets there? Yeah, you know when the ambulance comes in the uh, car garage that he's got, got to go down and to the left and then to the left and then to the <laughs> left. Wait for that thingy yeah. to come up. Yeah, because he can't back in down the ramp because those spikes will blow the wheels out. Mm -hmm. Right, right. When Olivia shows up, Amaro says, like, uh, I'm sorry to pull you out. Well, I think it was really, really more like pulling Cassidy out, right? Because mm. you can't really pull Olivia out. By the way, guys, why does a janitor have an ice pick? <laughs> <laughs> you know, for all of those 
those janitor calls that he gets in the middle of the night of someone trying to um, walk down their driveway. Yeah. I got to defrost the freezer here. <laughs> I actually have a theory about that. Okay. So I bet in like the physical therapy room, there's mm-hmm. some sort of like ice making machine for all the ice packs. And someone sometimes needs to go in and like break up the clumps of ice that clump up in there. Yeah, I don't think that's it. I, you know what? I was just trying to give you an answer to your freaking question, Kevin. Come yeah. on. I'm a, I'm a Southerner, so I don't carry ice picks in my car, but it's always been my impression that everyone north of like Virginia just always has like ice picks and like no. things that. <laughs> yeah. No, ice picks. We have scrapers for our windshields. Yeah, yeah thank you. Scrapers. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. We don't get snow down here, really. <laughs> those are not good weapons for ball stab. Those scrapers no. But think about this for a second. The coach had his back to the assailant, right? Yes. He was getting into the hatchback or the trunk, right? Yes. And so from behind, he was stabbed. He was able to hit each ball. Correct. And this is our case because he was stabbed in a bad place? Uh... Both of them. That is some sharp shooting, yeah. Yes, both balls. Both, both balls. balls. With Ding. multiple, like... Yeah, you're just going to have to take my word for it. First time you get punctured in the ball, your thighs are going to close up. You're like not You're not leaving, you know, to chance that it's going to happen again. Hmm. Was he going through the thigh to the other balls? I, could it go through the thigh? He got stabbed in a bad place. <laughs> yeah, all right. We once again have a classic bait and switch cold open where mm-hmm. the first part of the the episode, or the first five minutes of the episode leads me to believe, how in the hell are we going to get to Mike Tyson? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's Larry Nasser, Larry Nasser. Nope. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I want to get to the rest of our cast later, but our humble janitor is uh, played by none other than Peter Scandavino, who come back in two years as Sonny Carisi. Proto Carisi. Uh, yeah, well, we know he's perfect for this job because he's all kinds of concerned for his mom. <laughs> Treat you bad. Bother your girlfriend or something? Girlfriend? I don't have time. I work two jobs and I take care of my mom. You live with your mom, right? Your boss told us that she was sick. She's okay. She's she's not going to die. I was um, very confused because I had not seen this episode and I was sort of confused on the timeline of when Carisi comes in. So I really thought it was Carisi undercover for like the first <laughs> few minutes. And then I realized, oh, no, he's playing a different character. Me too. And every time he was in a scene with anybody, like with Rollins, I was like... That's your future boo. That's your boo. Hook up. Look how much chemistry. And by the way, his mugshot, hot. Did you see his <laughs> mugshot? He looked like what's his face from the bear, like Jeremy White. He does look oh. like him. You're so right. His mugshot was super hot. I 100% understand why Dick Wolf was like, we need to hire him. But we need to wait like 18 months so no one confuses him with this like creepy janitor. Dude. Yeah, yeah, he looks like uh, if Willy Wonka were from New Jersey. Oh, that's the <laughs> Jeremy White joke. Ha! It is. <laughs> Stole it. But uh, this janitor's mom, I mean, uh, she even has the oxygen tube in her nose yeah. like she's playing slots at the Tropicana. Or <laughs> no, it would be Mohegan Sun. Mohegan Sun. <laughs> and she's like, well... Come to think of it, he hasn't been right since the day you went to that day camp 20 years ago. Oh, well. I wonder what could have happened. What could have happened? No connection there at all. Yeah. We're just not deep thinkers back in the 70s, I guess. Parents are like that sometimes, though. Yeah. (laughs) I have a question. Sure. So they're taking him to Rikers, right? Mm -hmm. And they say, like, we only have one last chance to talk to him because he's on his way to Rikers. He's been arraigned. Why do you only have one last chance to talk to him? Is it a death camp? 
I mean, I know people die <laughs> well, there. Well, so, I mean, you can go to Rikers. We've seen you go there before to talk We've to people. Been there hundreds of times. Yes, they have a Rikers set. Right in that studio. <laughs> they don't have. It's the only time they've actually ever been to Rikers was to shoot this outside scene. It's your last chance. Remember, They're acting like he vaporizes when he walks through the door. Yeah. <laughs> but Johnny's in this paddy wagon heading to Rikers, and when they arrive, the door opens, and you can see that uh, he's wrapped a leg chain around the other inmate's neck. Yeah, he has. Uh, why are the chains that long in that little <laughs> tiny van? Maybe he's just very flexible. Well, no one is running ten feet away. In it means obviously it's. <laughs> It's nine feet longer than it needs to be. Because if they hadn't made them that long, then how would we have the plot for this episode? Well, he could still do it, but he'd like to have like one leg like up up by his shoulder, you know? That's what uh, I yeah, assumed. It was just some sort of like Chris Maloney yoga situation <laughs> where his leg was like this and then he was doing the strangling. That's oh, what I assumed. Was that happening. would be especially heinous. <laughs> <laughs> So this cast is, like, fucking ridiculous. I don't know who to put where when we classify things, but, Rebecca, I got to tell you, I'm using every jingle we have okay. for this particular cast. Can't so, wait. So we got to start somewhere. So it's our very special guest star, Mr. Ed Asner. That's our special guest star. Hey, I could have picked four <laughs> other actors, but let's do this. We'll begin with Ed as playing Coach Martin Schultz. Yes. Uh, I, I know these days everyone's going to be asking these questions. But uh, I don't tolerate deviance. And if I had seen a counselor look sideways at a kid, I'd knock him on his ass and put him on the bus before he knew what hit him. He's nominated for uh, Emmys and Golden Globes for 11 straight years, winning a record seven Emmy Awards and five Golden Globes. Wow. Highly decorated actor. He was the uh, first to win Emmys for playing the same character once in a comedy and once in a drama. For what? It was Lou Grant on the Mary Tyler Moore Show uh -huh. and also on the dramatic spinoff, Lou Grant. Uzo Abuda did it for Orange is the New Black, uh -huh. uh, but they just switched up the category. They they entered her in. Uh, she, she also won uh, Emmys for Roots and Rich Man, Poor Man. Okay. By the way, one of Ed Asner's most memorable roles was as Carl in Pixar's Up, where we watched him say nothing for four minutes and 22 seconds while his wife died, and we all fucking cried like bitches over a cartoon. <laughs> Never saw it. Because you're a pussy. <gasps> Come on. You know on. why? Because when someone says, we all cried like bitches over a cartoon, that's like saying, want to smell this horrible thing? <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't want to smell that horrible thing. Don't want to cry like a bitch over a cartoon. No, thank you. No, thank you. Karen, if I gave you a whole bunch of balloons, <laughs> how would you? Would it start to tug on your heartstrings? I, um, I, I am one of those people that doesn't cry at anything, but then cries at the most random thing. So like almost any movie makes me cry for like no reason. Uh, well, we do have a Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, it's that guy. Who is the actor playing activist lawyer Bayard Ellis? Reggie, you murdered a man, and you may never get out of prison. But if something happened to you, something bad when you were a kid, the jury should have heard about it. Um, would that be... No, I don't know. That's Andre Brower. <laughs> yes, Andre Brower. Thank you. Five of six appearances as this character. Uh, he had one appearance on The Mothership in a crossover episode with Homicide. Two-time Emmy Award winner. For Homicide? Once for Homicide, playing Frank Pemilton. Um, another for, I forget, but it was, uh, it was a, I believe, a miniseries. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Were there ever any scenes with Munch? 
and yeah. Ellis together? And did Munch say, you look familiar? No, actually, no. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a scene like that. The first one, he comes on and... Uh, Counselor Ellis. Have we met? Oh, that's amazing. And that was that was it. I love that. I love those little tidbits. By the way, he, uh, Andre Brower, also four Emmy nominations for Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's currently playing New York Times editor Dean Baquette in the movie She Said. Huh. He's great. He's great. I mean, I don't know if yes. you ever watched uh, Homicide, but his Frank Pembleton, excellent TV guide, has the number three top police detective in television history. I agree. Prototypical closer. Can I tell you something? Yeah. I, I'm sure the internet's going to give me shit about this again. I think The Wire is the most overrated television show in television history. Uh-huh. I think Homicide is one of the most underrated television shows. Under- mm-hmm. I think The Homicide is superior to The Wire in many ways. By the way, it's made from the same book project. Yeah, uh, It's a better show in many, many, many ways. And Andre Brower is one of those ways, in I- my opinion. Andre Brower was pre-med before turning to acting. And I think if he told people to get the vaccine, they'd shut the fuck up and get it. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. We have a repeat offender. Repeat offender. Playing Johnny Dubeck is Peter Scaravino. Who's that? (laughs) What he does, he wouldn't try with me. This is his one SVU appearance, not as Sonny Carisi, but we talked about him on the Mothership episode just a girl in the world. We hear he's the nicest guy in the world, Scanavino. Yeah. Aw. That's what we've heard. He's like the nicest. Well, if you look like Willy Wonka from New Jersey. Oh, you stop. Gotta... <laughs> That's Jeremy Oh, White. we have a Hey, It's That Girl. Hey, It's That Girl. Can you give me the name of the actress playing Angela Brooks, the head of the parole board? No. No. Thank you, Counselor. We will rule within 24 hours. This concludes the hearing. Uh, that is Eve Plum. Best known as Jan <gasps> Brady from The Brady Bunch. That went by real fast. Yeah, she was the one true love of George Glass. Oh my God, that went by so fast. I did not recognize Eve her. Plum also played Jan in The Brady Brides, The Brady's, A Very Brady Christmas, The Brady Kids cartoon, and The Brady Bunch meets ABC's Saturday Superstars TV movie. Knock me over with a feather. I did not. I wouldn't have recognized her too because I know that Brady Bunch cast up and down. I did not recognize her in that I did role. not clock that at all. Karen's mouth is still open. Her jaw <laughs> is still ajar from that one. According to Maureen McCormick, who played Marsha, Eve would walk around their uh, shared dressing room trailer completely naked and fart. <laughs> and when they complained, uh, she told them to get over it. <laughs> oh, my God. Jan. By the way, she was in the 1978 TV miniseries Little Women playing Beth March. So she got fucked in that one, too. Oh, my God. Of course, she played the one that died. Yeah. No respect for for each <laughs> No respect. We also get to see someone before they were famous. Before they were famous. Who's playing Eddie Gatlin? And not young Eddie Gatlin, but his father. Apparently, they... Only could also call Eddie Gatlin. He played us, and when he wanted our money, he said Eddie had Olympic potential. Then he charged us a fortune for private lessons. I don't know. I have no idea. That's Chris Sullivan, two-time Emmy nominee for This Is Us, playing Toby Damon. I don't watch This Is Us. I hear it's... Neither do I. You know why? Again. Because I'll cry. People say... It's a fucking cry fest. And I'm like, (laughs) why would I sign up for that? All anyone tweets about is 
I'm devastated by this week. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Yeah, two-time Emmy nominee. Uh, he and his wife just had their second child last month, Mazel Tov. On the show, Jack and Rebecca drove a 1990 Jeep Wagoneer. And when the show ended, they sold it to Beth and Aaron Napier, <gasps> the stars of HGTV's Mississippi-based Hometown. Oh, wow. That's incredible. And I imagine in Mississippi, a car from 1990 seems pretty futuristic. That's incredible. <laughs> uh, lastly, who's playing death row inmate Reggie Rhodes? Oh, who's that? Oh, who could that be? Who is that? Could it be Mike Tyson? Yeah. Doesn't matter. I did kill him. And I can't take that back. I'm trying to stay at peace. Now get the hell out of here now! Zero Emmy nominations. <laughs> Former heavyweight champion among his lowlights, he bit off Vander Holyfield's ear and was convicted of raping a Miss Black American contestant, served three years behind bars. It's a weird casting choice. It is a weird casting choice. I want to talk about that a little, a little more in depth later on, but NBC was criticized for casting Tyson. It was reported that Mariska was... Cool and distant to him on the set. I can imagine that she would be cool and distant to him on the set. Yes. I just didn't recognize him without his face tattoo. Yeah, I think I think there was makeup covering the tattoo there. Absolutely. <laughs> it's good makeup, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So on screen, Tyson was in The Hangover. Mm -hmm. But do you remember his role in the cartoon, The Mike Tyson Mysteries? No. Real series? Not at all. This is the descriptor of the series. You ready? In this macabre comedy, which retired boxing champion Mike Tyson, his brainy adopted Asian-American daughter, and a friendly but wimpy gay gentleman ghost, and a cursed, perverse, mean-spirited, talking pigeon solve weird mysteries together. This is very on brand. I think I just blacked out when you said all of those things together. <laughs> wow. It's animated. And, uh, by the way, their episode, The Pigeon Has Come Home to Roost, IMDb gives it 8.7 stars. Wow. This episode of SVU, 8.5 stars. Amazing. <laughs> I have one thing that I would like to ask you about. Sure. We complain a lot on this show about the fact that the sex cops are not willing to watch video mm -hmm. because they're like, I've seen enough. <laughs> and I'm like, that's literally your job is to watch the sex or molestation or abuse videos, right? Right. Now they're complaining they have to because they're too boring. Anybody learn anything? Yeah, 90 hours of tape and so far as only crime is boring me to death. Like, is there any circumstance in which these people are willing to watch videos? They they're won't, so pleasing, these people. They, they won't watch it when there is abuse going on and they won't watch it when there isn't abuse oh, going no, on. Oh no, but they did. They talked about for 90 hours. Yes. They watch videos of this guy sh doing stretches. But they still complain. They still complain. It's kind of like they're hoping, like, they, they want the 87th hour to be, oh, there's a fondle. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> I was going to waste all this time. Made my whole day worth it. Yeah, thanks, kid. Oh, thank goodness. Finally, some molestation. You some cannot please abuse. these people. You cannot please them. No. Video's the worst thing that ever happened to them. <laughs> <laughs> so Coach Schultz seems pretty cool. And <laughs> does he? And he starts off, you know, we're going to have hot chocolate. House? No, he does not. Olivia and Nick seem like they're about to move on. And that's when he says, like, the creepiest thing to Benson. Fatherless kids. Drives your mind you can never fill that hole. Isn't that right, Detective? Excuse me? It's all right, honey. 
You've done good. You could have gone the other way, too. Hmm? By the way, if you're going to molest campers and videotape it, you really ought to keep your mouth shut when the cops are there. Yes. And you should also you should also not say things like, I don't tolerate deviance. <laughs> <laughs> Because when someone says things like "I don't tolerate deviance," it means they know what a deviant is. Yeah, they're all they're all about deviance. <laughs> he pulled it right from my college sociology textbook. Correct. <laughs> it's sort of like the groomer discourse. You know, if yes. you're calling someone a groomer, probably means you're probably the are. groomer. <laughs> uh, every accusation is a confession, Correct. right? Correct. Yeah. Don't get me started. So, Cragen apparently is. Zero in charge of this unit at this point. <laughs> All the cops are now saying, hey, let's find evidence to help Johnny prove that he was molested and I maybe he it. won't go to jail. It's become a defense law firm. I love it. <laughs> so to prove that Schultz is a, a predator who made predator victims, they find 12 men out of thousands of campers over 50 years. Yep. And they get their pictures and they show them up and they say, look, here's a pattern. It's a statistical anomaly. Yes, but only Carisi's mugshot is hot. That's true. <laughs> That's true. They had it all. They had a young Mike Tyson headshot. Okay. Yeah. Was there a database of campers? Uh, yeah, it's all in papers. So That's not really a database, right? So Rollins went in and typed every name onto the internet. And how did she do that with when he's so anti don't come in my house, like as we see later in the episode? I think right. that even the most detailed rap sheet, Karen, does not list where you went to summer camp. <laughs> to summer camp. I mean, you know, on mine, it would be like convicted of public urination, went to Camp Mundo Vista Christian girls camp at 13. <laughs> and then the cross tabs come in and they're like, oh, well. Yes. So apparently she is a January 6th insurrectionist. <laughs> Hot off the press from Maybelline, New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more. An extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lift or Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Olivia enlists civil rights attorney Bayard Ellis to help out. If Reggie can corroborate the coach Schultz abuse claims, it can help Johnny's assault case and perhaps give Reggie grounds for a stay of execution. Okay, the DA said that this was a robbery gone bad, but nothing was taken. And the man that he murdered had two prior solicitations for young black men. And this never came out of trial? And Reggie never referenced his sexual relationship? Probably too ashamed to admit it. If we don't help him, he dies in nine days. Ellis tries to prove that Reggie's lawyer provided ineffective assistance by not presenting evidence to the jury that the victim, 
Charles Danforth, had been charged with soliciting young boys. At the prison, Reggie opens up to live, explaining how he'd been molested by his uncle, then Coach Schultz, then finally Danforth. He says Danforth once passed him to a group of men to abuse. The next day, Reggie returned to the home to kill Danforth. Amaro revisits Schultz's camp with Rollins and discovers he's got a young boy living with him. With the statute of limitations long past, they try to get him to come clean on the abuse. Schultz says, I don't have anything to do with Reggie. Now get the hell out of here! <laughs> Ellis learns the prosecutor was ready to argue about Danforth's criminal record, but Reggie's lawyers never brought it up. Seeking clemency from the parole board, Ellis presents all of that evidence including affidavits from jurors saying they wouldn't have voted for the death penalty if they knew about the victim's past. But still not enough to get a stay. Jan Brady, fucker. Ah, fuck Ellis's <laughs> last shot at stopping the execution is to prove prosecutorial misconduct. Examining the crime scene photos, Olivia notices a clean square within the puddle of blood, the same size as a Polaroid picture. Reggie admits... He went into his homicidal rage when he saw the photos Danforth made of him. He also says Coach Schultz videotaped his abuse. Well, with no statute of limitations on child porn, SVU raids Schultz's home. Hey, wait, you can't come on my property. Now get the hell out of here. <laughs> they find a little boy has been instructed to burn the old videotapes, but he didn't burn all of them. Back in an Ohio courtroom, Ellis grills the old prosecutor about whether she turned over everything to Reggie's lawyer. That's when he confronts her with documents showing authorities withheld the Polaroids, knowing they'd be favorable to the defense. The judge orders a stay of execution. Meanwhile, Schultz is placed in the same lockup with his old victim, Johnny. Oh. Who is definitely measuring him out for a uh, leg chain. Yes. All right, I'm going to blow your <laughs> mind. You ready, Rebecca? Okay. Now, as you've noticed, we've talked about, we actually talked about this a couple of times. As you may have noticed, Karen, that in seasons 1 through 12, all the uh, the uh, Stabler years, most of the episode titles on SVU are like one word. Yes. Payback, counterfeit, uh, damaged. Then in season 13, the names of the episodes started to get really long. And complicated. Scorched Earth, Blood Brothers, Official Story. Well, in season 13... The writers decided that each episode should be two words with a total of 13 letters. Then in season 14, the titles had to have 14 letters. What? Like Monsters Legacy, Secrets Exhumed, Girl Dishonored. They did this for seasons 15, 16, and 17. That is the stupidest shit I have ever heard. They got so bored with their jobs. Yeah. Yeah, I wish they'd focused a little more on the scripts. That is the stupidest, stupidest shit I've ever heard. They're like, what? But why? <laughs> well, uh, I well, they stopped in season eighteen. Yes, because thank you. They thought it would be too hard to do that or so. stupid. Well, they resumed the practice <laughs> in season twenty-one. No, yeah, no way. So they had very strained titles like "Murdered at a Bad Address," "Eternal Relief from Pain," and "Garland's Baptism by Fire." They did it again in oh season. Oh my God, that was a horrible title. We talked about what a bad title yeah. that was. Oh my now God. Now you know why, right? Mind blown. They did this again in season 22 with Ballad of Dwight and Irina, The Long Arm of the Witness. That's a stupid one. And <laughs> Welcome to the Pedo Motel. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. This is going to be a. I am never going to get over this. 
stupidish. This is like that stupid author who does those like A is for Apple, B is for banana books. This yeah. is stupid as shit. <laughs> She's dead now, Sue Grafton. Ever, Sue Grafton. Yeah. C is for chlamydia. This is yes. stupid as shit I have ever heard. The last time they did it was last year, season 23, titles with 23 letters like 18 Wheels of Predator. So stupid. Sorry if it got weird for you. It did. And last time we talked about like all these crazy names, we pointed out they had the 500th episode and the title for that was the 500th episode. Well, that also has 23 letters in it. I am so upset. Oh my God. You're shook, right? No, I'm upset. I mean, it's funny. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm upset because it's stupid, but it's also, I will say, if I worked in that room, it's also pretty fucking funny. <laughs> Good for them. I mean, I'm I'm half and half. It's fucking funny. Good for them. Good joke. But I'm also really fucking upset because it's really fucking stupid. I feel like the new writer starts and it's the day one of their day in the writer's room. They're like, okay, it's your job to come up with a title. Um, there has to be 23 letters in no. it. And they're like, Haha, good hazing project. And like, no, actually. It's an intern's job. You know it's a fucking intern's job. That's true. That's true. I don't know why I'm so upset about it. Episode titles don't mean anything except for us. They don't. They only see them if you're on Hulu or Peacock <laughs> or something like it's that. That's true. That's true. Yeah. This is incredible. But I want to tweet to Warren Light about this but shit. But if they're just like putting that much effort into writing that, they could have written tomorrow a little better oh yeah they could have actually decided what ethnicity he was yes <laughs> and not have him sexually harass his own boss or right. alienate his wife with horrible abusive like psychological shit anyway go ahead yeah but every every bad thing he said to his wife had 17 letters in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh so for background uh the second half here ellis is the founder of the center for civil rights and in past episodes he keeps getting acquittals Benson got him to represent her half-brother, Simon, on a child custody and kidnapping case. And at dinner, in this episode, we see him apologize because of what happened in the last case. So you're asking for a favor, so you're not angry with me anymore. I was never angry. You had a right to be. I blew up your relationship with David Hayden. Okay, I was angry. But I also knew that you were doing right by your client. In that last case, he was trying to exonerate a man who falsely confessed to rape after a grueling interrogation by Benson many years ago. Uh, She teamed up with him again to kind of clear the guy, but Ellis figured out that she was in a secret relationship with ADA David Hayden, a.k.a. Harry Connick Jr. Meow. Uh, And so they forced it. They had to break up after that. Yeah, it's too bad. Because I really think he was the one for Benson in many ways. Yeah. They were hot. Remember they they saw each other and then he like stuck his hand down her pants like immediately. Like it was incredible. (laughs) And and Benson so very rarely gets positive sexual experience. I know. Actually, I mistitled David Hayden. You recall that he was the executive assistant district attorney. And then later in that episode, he called himself the assistant to the executive yes, district attorney. I believe like we Dwight had Schrute. It's a real Dwight Schrute moment. I remember that. I remember we actually covered that episode and we actually talked about that title change. It was it stuck out to all of us at the time. Yeah, and I believe that was uh, the episode uh, Scorched Earth, 13 letters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Very important. Our official this, story, way, actually. This is, you need a jingle for this shit. You need a jingle for the episode title numbers now. All right. Well, we'll keep that in mind. It's going to be like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I knew that your ADHD would totally love that factor. 
Uh, by the way, so Benson is now taking all of her vacation days to go to Ohio. Not all of them. Does he have a chance? After the defense he had, if Ohio executes him, it's state-sanctioned murder. Do you have any vacation days accumulated? Oh, I don't know. 50, 60 weeks? Well, good. You're in luck. Cleveland's lovely this time of year. Yeah, and work to get a murderer off death row. Does that sound true to her character as a cop and a victim advocate? Yes. I think um, you could almost twist whatever's true to Benson to be whatever the writers want it to be that season or that episode. So she's like the New Testament. You can be whatever you see in her, right? It's true. It's absolutely true. And Cleveland is lovely no time of year. I will just say (laughs) that. Um, That was either a sarcastic line or a blatant lie. (laughs) I have a question about working as a cop in this squad in New York. Yeah. If you have 50 weeks of vacation, can you just call your boss and be like, I'm starting that today? I mean, usually I have to put in for that. I have to like say, hey, I want to take it at this time and like like a month from now. Can you just say, like, starting today, I will be taking four days? Well, why don't you pull out your calculator? Because she's been in that unit at this point for 15 years and That's obviously true. has never taken a vacation. That's true. I mean, could she also just say, Even like... Even when she was actually pregnant. Could she just say, like, I have a UTI. I need a couple days off. I need to get it treated <laughs> in Cleveland? And I, I I'm just, going to the Cleveland <laughs> Clinic for my the, UTI? In the future, I'm going to go to Paris with Noah for a month. So, like, I'm going to save that shit for that. Whatever. So here we get the dramatic range of Mike Tyson. Yes. Uh, I don't know if he's getting much assistance from the writers uh, to sound natural. Karen, at one point, uh, he was asked about something he remembered, and he said, The governor can grant clemency if the parole board recommends it. Did Mr. Mary ever tell you that? I talked to him so long ago, I don't recall. I don't recall. <laughs> Who the fuck says I don't recall? Is that a remember? I have a I have a theory that his sh- really shitty public defender just told him to say that on the stand a that, bunch. I agree. I don't recall. Kevin and I have a uh, marital disagreement about this situation. All right. Ooh. Bring it on. Spicy. I think Mike Tyson is good in this role. And Kevin thinks Mike Tyson is bad in this role. I think he's excellent and moving in this role. I think a person who has been in the legal system for many, many years, would use the expression, I don't recall, personally. Well, I was worried I was going to be in the minority because despite all of, I I kind of forgot about Mike Tyson's background until I was doing a little bit of reading. But I, despite, despite all of that, I was actually, I was kind of touched by his performance and in, in this sort of story of like the the person who just gets overlooked by the system. And even though he did murder someone, it, there was other things going on and he just didn't have the right representation and everything was working against him. My uncle put his mouth on me. And uh, he said, um, now you're a big boy. And this is what big boys do with men. And maybe it's partly that story and it's sort of a simple role to play, but I was, I was fairly impressed. I was going into it fully expecting to be like, this is going to be the stupidest fucking stunt cast that I've ever seen on us. Yes. Well, I know we're going to talk about this, but the story of the character reflects the story of the person too, which maybe is also the reason why I moved by it, but the performance, but how, how so though? I don't really. Oh, are we, we're talking about Mike Tyson. Yeah, now? talking about Mike Tyson. Okay. How does... Mike Tyson was convicted of rape. Yeah. We know that. He served a few years in jail for rape. He also had a violent childhood, yep. a very violent childhood. 
And there was a lot, there is a lot about the Mike Tyson story that actually is very parallel to the character he portrays in this story, which is interesting to me. I do not believe that SVU should cast a convicted rapist on their show. I'm just going to say that straight up. That being said, I think Mike Tyson is a complicated and interesting figure. His trial, his portrayal and culture as an athlete and an animalistic, violent character, which was celebrated by our culture and his sort of turnaround and maturity in the culture is a very interesting story and one that should not be simplified. That being said, his casting here is very fucking weird. I will also say, <laughs> I think he did a very good job as an actor in the show. You think he was bad. I think he was good. That's I thought the are. best thing, though, Karen, was the fact that he could wear his own uh, inmate scrubs, his own inmate <laughs> jumpsuit to the show. He's like, oh, it's already fitted. Yeah. They also put makeup on his tattoos. And in HD now, you can see it. Oh, really? Yeah. He's I do in- not have HD. <laughs> <laughs> So Rollins and Amaro go back to visit Schultz, and apropos of nothing, there's a preteen boy there watering the plants. It wasn't there before. Not apropos of nothing. That dude's a child molester. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anything more, Martin? No, Papa. Uh, you got homework for tomorrow, right? Uh, get upstairs and get going. They don't even ask the kid who he is. They just look at him like, ooh, sucks to be him. <laughs> Maybe we'll save him next week. Hmm. I'm not 100% sure, but I do think that kid had a small role in The Dark Knight Rises. Really? Pablo? I'm pretty sure. I think he was the other kid in the pit with Joey King. (laughs) Oh. I think. So I'm like, he's just had a real fucked up role childhood. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. He was the Panfar winner? Panfar. Panfar, yeah. Yes. All right, great. By the way, Schultz is living every elderly pedophile's dream. He's got a sex slave and a butler. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And you're troubled by my Mike Tyson. It's complicated feelings. Jesus. It's a fake kid. (laughs) It's a fake child being held hostage by a fake pedophile while fake detectives try to rescue him from a fake cabin. All true. All right. <laughs> I need the tell alls on these kids on, on SVU, honestly. <laughs> so Schultz has the last remaining blockbuster worth of uh, child porn. It's not blockbuster. He made the videos, Kevin. He made them. I know he He's made not them. Renting He's them. got a giant library. <laughs> Alphabetized. <laughs> Be kind, rewind. <laughs> oh my god. But no, I think he leaves it queued up to the good part. <laughs> God. Well, that's just to make it more convenient for the detectives when they have to go back and watch yeah. it later. They so they don't bored. get bored. In the Won't beginning. take 90 minutes, 90 hours. You're like, oh, here's Johnny, orange shirt, Mets cap, just like just like he said. But do you think like he pops one in and he's like, oh, no, who taped Hannah Montana over this? <laughs> oh. uh, it's OK. I'll make it work. <laughs> Was this compromise? Because the way his victims described it, it was Compromat, not like his own like thing. It wasn't a, it wasn't Compromat, right? It was for no. His own he use. just said it's our secret. Uh, and I'll tell everybody. It and... makes me so mad. It makes me so mad. So our our dynamic duo find out that their parole request was denied, Ugh. and that the chair, Mrs. Brooks, had a conflict. I got a off the record call this morning. Miss Brooks is married to Jim Harrison. The lead prosecutor. Wouldn't that create a conflict for all of her cases? (laughs) 
Yes. Yeah. Did you notice but, that Ellis is like, well, I got it off the record. Like, how is that off the record? Yes. It's <laughs> they're public, married. It's they're not secretly married. It's public information. <sighs> I just assume that the person who told him was like, don't tell anybody I told you this. Yeah. Even right, though you right. could literally find it out anywhere. You guys did not do your due diligence, but here I am secretly to tell you. And literally, I'm just the person in the cafeteria serving you lunch, but. but. <laughs> you didn't notice that big diamond on her finger? It's oh not Mrs. God. Brooks, it's Ms. And I'll tell you why. That, that prosecutor lady, she is the Doug Evans of this episode. She sucks. We learned in the end that Danforth's abuse of Reggie didn't come out at trial, not because the defense ignored it, but because the prosecution never disclosed it. So. Ellis gets his Perry Mason moment, confronting the prosecutor with the photos. Does this jog your memory about whether or not the lead detective mentioned Polaroids at the scene? I have no idea how these... Would you open this and show these photos to the court? No, no, I, I couldn't... Just like you couldn't show them to the defense? No, that's not what I was saying. Even when this became a death penalty case? You didn't share these with anyone! By the way, where did he get those? Where were those photos? I was going to ask you that because I watched this episode twice and both times I was like, how did they find these and her notes and everything like I, they were in the file. I, they were in the prosecution file where well, they, they never handed that over to the defense. Correct. The judge was like, I'm not going to give you a stay of execution, but I'm going to give you this file, which in theory should be the same shit the defense has. Guess what? It ain't. Somehow Andre Brower was able to go through all of it in like four minutes and found <laughs> exactly what he was looking for, including a giant pile of. He was like, he didn't need to go through all of it. He was like, we're just looking for a giant pile of Polaroids, Liv. Where's that? Yeah. I have a more compelling question. What? Reggie went over to confront him. And when he found out he had photos, he murdered him. Why didn't he take the fucking photos with him? <laughs> that was the whole reason. If that was his motive for murder, then, by the way, they wouldn't have known he was the murderer because the way he knew he was the murderer was because he was in the fucking photos. That was how they knew he was the murderer. You guys realize that, right? Yeah. Because there were photos of him in the crime scene. If Reggie had taken one extra fucking minute and picked up all those Polaroids himself... <laughs> We would not be here. Karen, if a thing is worth doing. <laughs> Hot off the press from Maybelline, New York. It's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more. An extra large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lift or Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home. The place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out. To the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. All right, let's take a look at the real life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did you it? You think you know who did it? 
But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the headlines. While taking inspiration from several cases, some plot points for this episode come from the story of Mark Valera. In 1998, David O'Hearn of New South Wales had been murdered in his home. His head was found in a sink. His bowels were displayed on a silver tray and his severed hand had been used to draw a pentagram. Australian investigators suspected a satanic cult. Two weeks later, politician Frank Arkell was killed with tie pins stuck in his eyes and cheeks. Police focused on Keith Schreiber, a man with satanic leanings. He was also Mark Valera's roommate. Schreiber had an alibi for Arkell's murder but Valera's girlfriend said bloody boots from the crime scene belonged to him. Valera confessed to the crimes. He said O'Hearn's murder was random, but he targeted Arkell because he was a known paedophile. At trial, Valera accused his father of physical and sexual abuse as a child and claimed this was why he was a murderer. He said before the attacks, both victims had propositioned him. This led to flashbacks of his father's abuse. The jury didn't buy it. They convicted him on both murder counts. Mark Valera is currently serving two life sentences at the Goldburn Correctional Centre in New South Wales. So Valera tried to argue the homosexual advance defense, also known as the gay panic defense. He said that he killed O'Hearn right after being propositioned, but that he'd been in a sexual relationship with Arkell for a year. Uh, Now, I don't buy the defense anyway, but if I did, wouldn't that undercut the gay panic part of it? I love when I as a queer woman, I love when I hear men try to use the gay panic defense. It's like, you know, straight women get propositioned all the time. None of us, none of them are (laughs) killing people. Oh, my God. Back off. (laughs) How dare you think I'm attractive? I'm like. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's also something called a homosexual panic disorder, which is a mental health issue. The legal defense is kind of a different thing. Homosexual panic disorder was coined around World War One, but is no longer a diagnosable condition. Nor should it be. No. Uh, The legal defense also says that the violence uh, inflicted was a temporary loss of control. So not really a disorder, just being an ass. Uh, So let's paint with a broad brush. I think that a straight man receiving an unwanted sexual advance uh, and he resorts to violence, I don't think it's out of fear that he's going to be overpowered. Nope. I think the fear is what the advance might say about him. Correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's that's a condition known as homohysteria. It's also a condition known as being a violent person who would commit violence in probably many other situations as well. Mm -hmm. Right? Homo-hysteria, also known as all the male characters on all the seasons of Friends. Correct. <laughs> like, like, 100%, yes, thank you. But, like, a person who's going to commit violence in that situation is going to commit violence in other situations. This is not out of the blue. So A guy says, I'm handsome, so I murdered him, but I've been peaceful and wonderful in the rest of my life. I guarantee this guy is a dick to women. Mm-hmm. I guarantee he's been violent to women. I guarantee he's been like a, a dick to any authority figure that's ever been in his entire life. I guarantee he's just a violent person. Guarantee it. Mm-hmm. Guarantee it. You don't you don't put the bowels on display yeah. and the severed head in the sink without being 
at least a little violent. But, you know, if you listen to enough black metal, I think it'll happen. Yeah, the panic, sh- <laughs> the panic should have subsided when you're halfway through the neck, right? Right. Just Come like two at some point. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, OK, I got it, was it out. Satan. Is it, we we're saying it was Satan for sure, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> Trying to throw them off the track. Maybe they'll think it's Satan. <laughs> So right now, 17 states have laws that say jurors should be instructed to ignore any bias in the case of a nonviolent sexual advance. 16 others have bills submitted that have failed. Same thing at Congress. There was a try to move with the federal government to also issue the same thing, basically saying you can't make it a law, but you can have the judge tell the jury, no, you can't consider that a legitimate reason for self-defense or whatever. Now, you're ready for this plot twist. Sure. (laughs) Less than a month after Valera's conviction, his father, who he accused of molesting him, was found stabbed to death in his home. By whom? It was determined that Valera's old roommate, Keith Schribner, had killed him. He'd been paid to do so by Valera's sister. They claim that the sexual abuse was uh, continuing with the grandchildren. So, uh, Schribner got life, she got six years then was arrested for stabbing her own boyfriend when she got out. And he stayed with her and then married her behind bars. Huh. So the next time someone tells you your family is fucked up, you can tell them to blow it out their ass. Yes. (laughs) That is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Karen Cooper. Karen, where can our listeners follow you online? Uh, We are on Instagram and Twitter at ChickLitPod. And that's not spelled like the gum. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and Rebecca Lavoy, where can our listeners follow you? Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega at Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.